it's it's uh, a, a moment for me here to close this out with you guys. I, I feel like life for me is full of so many attempted projects. Um, some work, some fail. You don't know till you try. And this, as an experiment, I think uh, hit hit me in a way that I didn't imagine. Not knowing that when we started this, that 2020 would be what it is, and to go through it with you guys, and to to know that you're showing up, and then I want to be at my best to put together a, a new experimental edge of my learning conversation, has drawn out what I hope is the best in me, and so thank you for that. And today, as we bring this to a close, what does it mean that we bring the transformation that we've experienced within ourselves to the community? And it takes so much courage to just see. I mean, for anyone that looks at their community or what they're surrounded by and what they're going through and could actually look at it and imagine it to be better uh, is an audacious thing. That you would look at it and go, well, what if we did it this way? Or what if we thought about it this way? And, and it really is the culmination of the expression of your impact. But it's not easy. I mean, it's challenging. I think this was made really uh, fresh and real to me. Just last week, I'd come downstairs. I was making my morning coffee. And uh, just curious, how many of you remember the, the metal straw craze of 2019? Anybody remember that? Yeah. And so we got on that train in this house and, you know, a lot of excitement around let's save the turtles. And we want to come beside our children when they're in these moments and, and, and help. I will confess that there have been moments where I've seen straws to be washed in the dishwasher and, and felt uh, less than healthy things for the Navigate journey that we've been on. So I come down to make my coffee one morning and I look down on the counter and there it is, a bag of plastic straws. If this isn't a symbol of 2020, I don't know what is. We are throwing in the towel on the metal straw battle. <laughs> we don't have the energy for that in 2020. And for us, as we engage this journey, you know, to the uninitiated, they would think some of what we've talked about has been indulgent because we've talked for eight sessions about ourselves. But what they don't know to the uninitiated is that we've got to be able to find within the renewal and the motivation because transforming revolutionizing our communities and our cultures is hard, difficult work. We're not talking about mild reforms. We're not talking about minor, cha minor changes. We're talking about what it means to reimagine. And if this were easy, and if this were as simple as switching straws, everybody would just do it. All communities would just progress. They would all advance, but that's not how it works. And to the unaware, our journey might even look escapist, that we've just gone within to introspectively look at ourselves in a way that allows us to check out on the struggle, but that's not it at all. Instead, what's happened is we've taken this journey, we've learned to pay attention to the windshield, that we're more than our thoughts and feelings, we're more than our ideas, that these are changing, and that we've built this antenna of learning when we prove or hide, when our ego, you know, when our ego shows up too big or too small, and as we become aware of the proving or hiding, we allow ourselves to be captured by the daydream, the whim. We're gonna take that turn and we're gonna find a special moment and we're gonna to wanna to pull over and take a picture so we can memorialize it. And as we progress in advance, we find that there's someone in the car with us and it's actually the shadow part of who we are. It's the part that falsely people would call the bad wolf that you never wanna feed and it's an invitation to more growth. And as we keep growing, we reach up and find the talisman and the object that keeps us motivated, keeps us 
focused. And then we press the gas and we find the things that have been weighing us down and overwhelming us, we now are unshameable in our identity. So we are unstoppable in our mission and we are uncancelable in the community changes that we know we need to bring about. And as you press the gas and as you move free, this has not been indulgent. This has not been escapist. This is so that you can bring a revolution to your community. And the revolution or the transformation that you're going to bring is going to be something that you find is unique to who you are and to your journey. And if this were easy and if this were simple, everyone would just do it. So what do we do? We've spent these eight sessions on you. How can we now what, it, what how can we now imagine what it's like for us to be in the car and go where we're going? Well, here's the fun part. I can't tell you where we're going to go. I can't tell you where you're going to go. This is where there's some wonder and awe. As you press the gas, the horizon is wide open. But I am going to give you a diagnostic to pay attention to. And this diagnostic or this viewpoint is going to be something that you can watch within the car. If you'll watch these three pieces in the car, you'll be able to be the kind of person who can revolutionize your community, revolutionize your culture, whether it's personal or professional. Professional. So I'm going to give you a dashboard to watch. And as I give you this dashboard to watch, I want you to consider that the work of revolutionizing our communities is never done. One of my uh, hardest jobs that I've ever had physically was concrete construction. I know we've got a few people here today that mildly understand the challenge of concrete construction. And I, uh, I was a freshman in college. I went out to the job site. Now, I didn't grow up in a handyman's home. And so they handed me like a 16-pound sledgehammer to start driving in these spikes. Because as a freshman in college, we were the grunts. We did all the stuff nobody wanted to do. Not having swung a hammer very much, this man hands me a 16-pound sledgehammer, something like that weight. And I've got to swing it and drive in this metal spike and these metal frames because it was the, the concrete around these parking uh, structures. He holds the spike. I swing the hammer with all my might. I mean, no onboarding. This, this was it. <laughs> Cushy onboarding. Come on. I swing the hammer. I completely miss the spike. Pound this sledgehammer into the ground. Thankfully, miss the hand by millimeters. At that moment, this man whose unique health rhythm was to drink as much beer as he could when he was laid off in the winter and then in the summer would sweat himself back down, turned a shade of red I didn't know existed in a human. At that point, I started to hear some language and I thought I was pretty advanced in my awareness of language that I had never heard put together just that way. My life flashes before my eyes. This man's going to kill me. He's going to murder me right here. That job was the hardest physical job I've ever done. I would, I've never had a job where I would be like, please let it rain, please let it rain. People would come out, start, and they would quit by the end of the day. Like, rare was a person ever out there the whole day that finished. But me and my friend, we told ourselves we we're gonna stick with it through the summer. I remember clapping at a concert later that summer and my hands felt like two bricks. At the beginning of the summer, I could carry one side of a 12 inch frame, steel frame that we used to hold this concrete. By the, by the end of the summer, I could grab two pieces, two sides, my friend would grab two sides. As much as I hated that job, what do you think I bragged about 
for summers after that job when I drove by a parking lot that I helped pave. Now, I still remember the foreman. I mean, he's getting down and he's finishing up some of the concrete. We didn't do the finishing work and one of the finishers couldn't be there that day. And I heard him say under his breath, you know, my mom told me something about staying in his work. I, I noted all those moments. I wanted to work with my mind, but here's what I can tell you. I bragged about that job when I would be driving by it years later with my wife. I would point to a parking lot that I helped pave and I would say, babe, I did that. Like, this is after I've earned my master's. I'm regularly speaking to crowds of over a thousand people. I'm pointing to that parking lot and I'm going, hey, 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 you see that? I helped do it. Why? Here's why. Because it was work that I finished. There's something satisfactory about a job that you can finish. You know, you mow your grass and you sit back and you're like, yeah, I'm done. The hard part of revolutionizing our communities, the hard part of building our cultures in our workplaces, in our homes, is that the work is never done. It's never finished. But if you can look at the dashboard that I'm going to give you today, this dashboard will guide you to help you stay the journey, even though it's work that's done again and again and again every day. So first piece of the dashboard that I want you to watch as you revolutionize your communities is the GPS. It's the GPS. See, I can't tell you specifically where you're gonna go, but I can say this, with a sense of wonder and awe as you've taken these other eight pieces of our journey and you add today to it, you get to press the gas and you get to go. And part of you going is the unique triangulation of who you are that is your GPS. I could give it to you this way as, a, as an action statement. Action statement number one to revolutionize your community, guide to what you see. Guide to what you see. You're not just seeing it. It's one thing to see how something could be better. What makes leaders necessary is that they see the vision, but they, they actually act on it. They perceive, they discern, they advance. And what's really cool about where you are right now and about what you've been through, nobody else has the unique GPS setting that you do. I'm talking about your beliefs, the ideologies you had yesterday that you don't have today. I'm talking about your values. I'm talking about your hardships. I'm talking about your challenges. You're this unique amalgamation. We found that in the previous eight pieces. You're this unique juxtaposition and contradiction. And that is how you find where you are and then where you want to go. You look at the summation of who you are. And as we found in these previous eight pieces, nothing can fully sum you up. That your internal world is endlessly explorable. And so what you get to do over and over and over is to come back to the vision. Now the problem is vision drifts. Vision drifts and so we're never done guiding people to what we see. As we walk through this dashboard of awareness of how we revolutionize a community, one of the things that you're gonna find is you're gonna be better at one of these in building your culture and you tend to be worse at one. And the one that you're better at is the one that you do with the most ease. Now in my work and working with a lot of business owners and leaders with a lot of serious responsibility, they tend to be people that are gifted with the ability to have the courage to see something. 
and then even sometimes to capture people's hearts and imaginations to get others to join them in it. But they still will sometimes think this, how many times am I going to have to say this? How many times am I going to have to remind them of this? They'll sit down in their chair and go, when am I going to be done sharing this? And unlike the parking lots that I helped paved, you're never going to be done. Your moment in revolutionizing your community is to take them back over and over and over to the vision that you see. And that vision that you see is uniquely yours. I mean, right now, I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but in sociology, which sociology looks at the micro, some of the top sociological studies have been debunked. Some of the biggest ones in the last few years. And we're appreciating in a fresh way how much biology affects things, how much evolution affects things. But we still, in science, can't separate. I say we like I'm a part of it. We still can't separate nature and nurture. We don't know how those overlap. You are the unique hereditary combination that is you. You've been through the experiences that you've been through. You have this unique triangulation. And here's a heavy way of wording it, but I mean this. If you can see something that could be better than it is, it's a responsibility for you to say, I need to make this happen. I can't sit by. This, this needs to be better. We are where we are as a human race because many, many, many people before you and I said, I'm not going to just try to reform my community. I'm going to revolutionize it. I'm going to take them into something not just different, but better. I see something that could be completely and wholly in a different way than it has been up to this point. Now, if you're watching the GPS and if you guide into what you see, you're going to be at the starting point. But there's more. See, your vision, guess what it needs? <laughs> it needs people. Now, part of the reason it needs people is because that's the whole point. The vision is the people. The vision isn't just for the sake of the vision. So you can have this grand idea of, of what something could look like. Instead, it's so that it could be done. It could be executed. You need people. But guess what? You also need the perspective of the people. You need their wisdom. So what starts with you has to get refined and made better in relationships. And that takes us to the second part of the dashboard. You can't force feed a vision. The second part of the dashboard, it's the battery. It's the electricity in the car, because hey, we're not animals. I've said press the gas, but all along it wasn't a gas-powered car. It's an electric car. And as you understand that the first piece of revolutionizing a community is to guide into what you see, you'll notice how naturally what progresses next is you have to abide for, un for unity. You abide for unity. So you guide into what you see and you abide for unity. You take the vision and bring it into the context of relationships. And yes, you seek to persuade. Yes, you seek to be as influential as possible. You tell stories, you win hearts, but you also listen. When you abide for unity, you live in the perfect tension of speaking and sharing and listening. You share, and that takes courage because you're going to be misjudged. If everyone saw what you could see, they would gravitate towards the vision. 
but a leader has to stomach the tension of being willing to be misunderstood at the beginning because they're sharing something people haven't yet considered. And as you share what hasn't yet been considered, you are listening to how they're receiving it, what their experience is with it. Because as they speak up, it gets made better. Here is the great problem I see in our world right now. Falsely, people think if they have a vision, that's enough. But just because you have a revelation of what could be better doesn't mean it will turn into a revolution. Those people are just addicted to outrage. Outrage and getting bothered and getting upset, that's the beginning of seeing some change. But the outrage isn't the end point. The outrage is in us for seeing how this could be completely made different, revolutionized, but then we take it to the context of relationships where we share and listen. The world is never gonna change when two people are yelling at each other. That's not how it works. And until we have the awareness to not give pedestals to people that are screaming for validation, whether they are in systems of power or they've never been empowered, we'll never be getting the right voices, a signal boost. They'll never provide us the wisdom that we need because in speaking up, in their outrage, they're saying, validate me, validate me, validate me. And they can't be our leaders. What we have to do is we have to abide with a unity. It's not a forced unity. It's an honesty that progresses through the messiness of relationships. See, <laughs> here's what happens to people in this stage. If you're a leader and this is more of a weakness for you, then you sit down at some point in your seat and you go, how many times am I gonna have to work to help everyone get along? Guess what? This is not a parking lot. You're never done working for the unity of the relationships of the people that you care for. Every time you get irritated because someone has a need and you feel like it's slowing you down, you're actually missing how that need will help make the vision better. There was an ad recently that I saw with Guinness Beer. It was brilliant. It showed people playing basketball and that was the, the angle of the camera. And then the angle of the camera switched so that you could see everyone that was playing basketball was in a wheelchair and I was touched. And then they played for a bit. And after they played for a bit, third big shift, everyone got up out of their wheelchair except one person. They had subjected themselves to a wheelchair to play basketball with their buddy. I wanna make a statement to you that is probably one of the most powerful things that our leaders need right now in the world today. Healthy communities move at the pace of the greatest need. They just do. It's on us as leaders to carry the responsibility of understanding we can't overly coddle our teams. We can't overly coddle our communities. We can't hold hands until the point that we're all exhausted and everyone feels comforted and everyone feels taken care of and now we can advance. Nor can we move so fast that we overlook what is our best discernment as leaders and processed in the context of community, what are the priorities? 
the messy part of revolutionizing a community, the, revo the, the messy part of transforming a culture is that not everything can be of equal priority. We can let everyone know they're heard and we can let everything, let everyone know that everything is important, but it's not all of equal importance. The number of times as a dad in a given week that I'm prioritizing what is the greatest need because stuff happens, things come up. But until you get this as a leader, you stay stuck at this place of, of anger and outrage. These are the kind of people whose vision is just to watch something burn. When I was 18 years old, I would get into arguments in college with all the bloated self-righteousness that I had enough information and knowledge that I could argue people into seeing what I saw. And you don't change the world by trying to change other people's minds. What has to happen in the context of abiding with unity is we are heard and we listen. We hear and we are heard. And it's messy and it's not easy and it's gonna feel like you're moving slower if you're wired like me. But what you'll find in the investment for space, for time, for processing, is we're actually gonna move faster. When I was 21 years old, I told you I was put into a public leadership role way too early. And I can see now how much it contributed to my growth and advancement in leadership principles and understandings. But one of my great immaturities at 21 was I had the courage to see the vision, but I was too eager to die on hills. Everything was worth dying for out of principle. And I became as a leader in that way toxic because I didn't know how to prioritize. If where you struggle as a leader is in this context, I need to tell you about when my mom made chicken pot pie for me. I was probably nine years old, best I can remember. Grew up in the South. And uh, now I do appreciate some chicken pot pie, but the first time I was introduced to it and I thought we were having pie for dinner and I took my fork and put it down into that flaky crust and out popped a pea, Geez, at that age, it would have felt like starting Rocky IV only to have Looney Tunes cartoons come on. This pea pops out and felt angry. I felt angry enough to be defiant. I felt angry enough to protest. I felt angry enough to speak my need to be heard. And I said, you know what? I'm not going to eat this. Being raised in the South, my dad let me know, that's what's for dinner, son. And you'll sit there till you eat it. Now, I remember some time had passed, enough time that my dish was now cold. Being a smart person who does learn under pain and duress, I gave up my battle and ate my cold chicken pot pie. <clears throat> Everything I've learned about leadership now, I could look at my mom and say, Mom, it's your job to make a better dinner. <laughs> and I don't know that I would be alive right now. But I will tell you this, if you find yourself force-feeding a vision, it's your job to make a better dinner. There's something that has to happen in you that you can start hearing enough to capture people's imagination so that you can change your approach. William Butler Yeats, the poet, says, <laughs> and this is so true for today, all empty souls tend towards extreme opinions. We don't need extremism anymore. We don't need people on the extremes proving about their cause. We need more listening. We need more messy relationships. 
because we've got to keep the vision, but we've got to let it be shaped by the people around us. And it's your job as a leader to not lose the vision while the messiness of relationships is helping make it better. And this not only applies to communities at large, the communities you lead in your workplace, it's also your personal relationships. Some of you right now are in a personal relationship where you're irritated at someone and you're weaponizing their vulnerabilities so that you can win. You're not abiding with unity. And so your battery in your car is about to run out on that community. You can't revolutionize it. You can't upgrade it. Uh, tomorrow, my wife and I will have been dating for 21 years. I said to her, our, our dating life can drink now. <laughs> and uh, we met on a blind date 21 years ago. So we know the date. We can mark it. We've been through numerous visions in our relationship of who we are, of who we're becoming. And as we work to abide with unity, we work through new vulnerabilities. We progress, we change, we grow. I'm not the person that I was. I actually can still remember being a person who held opinions and thoughts that I am sad that I had those. But as I've engaged in relationships with people, it's changed me. I remember being a college prof and having some things change in me as I watched college students going through an experience of coming out to their parents. As I work to abide with unity, my mind changes and I grow and I learn. Sometimes in leading staff meetings over the years, I've said this, here's what I believe, change my mind. <laughs> and I'll give everybody a chance to change my mind. And sometimes they do. And sometimes I'll go, you know what? None of you changed my mind. We're still going in this direction. That's okay. That's the responsibility of leadership to make that call. But if I'll guide to what I see and I abide with unity, here's the third thing that gets to happen. I get to ride into opportunity. I get to ride into opportunity. So we watch the GPS so we can guide into what we see. We watch the electricity storage in our battery so we know where the relationships are. We can abide with unity. We've also got to watch the diagnostics of our car, the systems, the system diagnostics so we can ride into opportunity. Let me say it to you this way. You've never found the best way to do anything. See, just like vision drifts, when you hire that third person and you're so passionate about your culture and you're like, how did they do that? It's because you're your third hire away from losing your culture. <laughs> when the relationship needs more work out of nowhere, you thought the relationship was good and now it, same thing happens with systems. You constantly watch the systems. You've never found the best way to do anything. When I was in college, I remember the president got up and they had just built this new expensive building, laid all this expensive concrete and all this expensive grass. And guess what students were doing? not walking the pathways, but walking the pathways they wanted to. And so the president got up and he lectured everyone on, do you want mud or grass? Well, that was just a joke to everybody. Mud or grass became the joke. And they just walked the pathways they wanted to and formed muddy paths. It was bad user design. They should have seen the pathways that students would walk, then paved <laughs> the sidewalks. You'll see what they'll actually use. When I was, uh, when my kids were younger and we would carve pumpkins at Halloween, I'm going to tell you that I'm not the most patient dad in some things like this. Some of you are wired up. You're just phenomenal parents. You're like, I love my kids. I love carving pumpkins. I love going to all day sporting events. It's amazing. Not so much me. So we'd be carving pumpkins and I'd be like, this is so freaking annoying. I just dig this stuff out forever. And then I saw a guy cut the bottom of his pumpkin off. And he scraped everything out. And then he set the top. He still had two pieces like I did. I had a top and a whole pumpkin. He had a whole pumpkin and a bottom. 
cut the bottom off, scraped it all off, set it on top. Then he could carve. Reduce the workload by like 90%. I'm like, nobody told me this. There are so many things in your life that you think you've found the best way to do it and you've just locked in on it. And what it means to have an appreciation for the fact that the work of revolutionizing our cultures is never done is our systems are never finished. We finish them and we use them and we don't just change them to change them, but we change them when, out of abiding with unity, we know something needs to be improved. Now, as a little caution here, for you as leaders, just a reminder, nobody likes change unless it's their idea. If you came to me right now and said, Chris, I got seven great changes for your life, you better be an amazing persuader because I like making decisions for my life. But that's true for other people. We get fired up about our change. We think about it for six months. Then we say it out loud. They hear it for the first time. We've conversed with ourselves with ourselves about it for 50 times. And then after we say it out loud, we think, well, I've said it once. They've heard it. They need to hear it till they feel like they're gonna throw up before it starts to sink in. We take for granted the fact that this is what's happening over and over and over. And in a healthy culture that's revolutionized, you create out of the ride with unity an emotional, psychological safety. And I don't mean an overcoddling because we've still got to have hard conversations about performance, but people can speak their truth out loud. And when they can speak their truth out loud, guess what they can do? They can do innovations. Innovations happen in an individual. The group usually doesn't innovate, but the group can position for the innovation because they surface the problem. The group can accentuate the innovation and make it better, but it's the context of all three of these working together that we see the innovation happen. And if we're going to be the kind of people who go on these journeys, we're going to be the kind of people who never stop growing. See, the people that can't lead themselves first are the people that miss the small moments of awareness. That's what our first eight pieces have been all about. And if you'll, not, if you'll, if you'll miss the small moments of awareness, guess what else you'll do? You'll tolerate systems that don't produce the desired results that you want. And if you tolerate systems that don't produce the desired results you want, here's what you start doing. You start forcing things. Now, forcing things is when it shows up in meetings and conversations. The quickest way I can recognize a leader isn't actually taking a healthy path to revolutionize their community is when they start forcing things. They make up for a lack of clarity with an increase in intensity. They say agitated things. Well, I don't know, but y'all just figure it out. When nobody in the room is really passionate about executing on that initiative. If you miss the small moments of awareness, you start tolerating systems that give you results you don't want. And if you tolerate systems that are giving you results you don't want, you start forcing things. And if you start forcing things, you're frustrated. Why are you frustrated? Going back to previous sessions, because you're a kinked up garden hose. And remember, what we're doing is unkinking the garden hose so that there can be a flow through of expression. I wish I could tell you that Gandhi wasn't racist towards the Sikhs, but he was. I wish I could tell you that religions haven't persecuted each other throughout human history, but they have. I wish I could tell you the Dalai Lama didn't make a comment that was so insane when he said, yes, a woman could be the Dalai Lama, but she would have to be attractive for that to be true. I wish 
all of those things hadn't happened. I wish we could have leaders that we put on pedestals, that had perfect morals and values that we could follow, but actually that would screw us all up, and I hope you live long enough for your heroes to fall off of their pedestals. Because the true leaders that revolutionize communities are the people that know it's not about perfection. It's about an ongoing process. And until we understand that we're in an ongoing process of transformation, and then we bring an ongoing process of transformation to our communities, we'll keep falling into this trap where we wait on a rescue, we believe we can engineer some kind of utopia, we try to enforce top-down systems of perfection when never this is how the world has changed. The world has changed because people take a journey like Navigate and they're transformed and they bring a clarity into their doing and their mission and they revolutionize their communities and enough revolutionized communities start coalescing together that real big systems start to change. That's how we change the world. And if you think we've aimed for anything less than that in this project, you've missed the ambition. But it's not found in the bigness. It's found in the small. It's the emails you send. It's the conversations you pursue that you want to ignore. It's the tone that you use. It's the way that you pay attention. Because the reality is, if you've been at the helm of your culture for more than three to five years, and you're irritated at the culture, it is your culture. The things that you're irritated at are pointing back at you. And it's time for change. And you can change it. And if you're put in new to a culture and you take it to where you want it to be and you try to do that faster than about a year or two, you're going to have to do so much violence to it that you'll probably not be the leader who gets to lead it into the next era. But what you can do using this dashboard, guide into what you see, abide for unity, ride into opportunity, you'll have the template, the framework, and the filter to never stop transforming the communities around you. Let's be those kind of people. Thank you so much for being engaged on this journey.